Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Well, I got really excited preparing this message for you this morning, and I'm excited to deliver it to you. So let's open up our Bibles, uh, pull out our Crosswalk notes out of the program. We're in Luke chapter 21 today. We're continuing our series, Maturity Myths. If you recall last week, Phil kicked off this series about some of the myths that we believe that can hinder us from growing in our faith so that our faith becomes strong and solid, deeply rooted. And, and, uh, and what are those myths? Last week, uh, Phil addressed the myth that there's some sort of trick move, some sort of immediate thing that you can do. Then all of a sudden, boom, you become spiritually mature in a moment. And he told us from the scripture, of course, from the Bible, that in reality, for most of us, maturity is a lifelong process of growth. And it's something that takes place over time. We have to understand that and expect that spiritual growth, it has its ups, it has its downs. But with the Holy Spirit empowering us, we can grow in a steady line upward into Jesus. This morning, we're going to take on another myth that uh, maturity is attainable by only a select few. That's a myth. You ever have um, one of those who does that moments? You ever, um, for example, I, I had one just this past week where you, where you thought, wow, how, how did he do that? Did you hear about Jordan Romero? Jordan Romero, at nine years old, climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, the tallest mountain in Africa. And just this past week, at age 13, he climbed Everest successfully to the top. And you think to yourself, wow, at age 13, who does that? Climbs Everest, takes a risky move like that. It was in not more than uh, three or four weeks ago that we were reading about a young lady named Jessica Watson. Jessica's only 16 years old, and she sailed solo, nonstop, in her own little pink yacht entirely around the world, circumnavigated the planet in her yacht all by herself. Who does that at age 16? Amazing young lady. In fact, one young lady, 14, had the entire Dutch government up in arms saying who does that because at 14, she wanted to do the same thing. Laura Decker, she wanted to, at 14, the age of some of our confirmands, because today's confirmation service, second service today, she wanted to do it, and the, the Dutch government laid out an injunction to stop her and said, no, young lady, you have to wait for a little while. I remember uh, a who does that moment in Africa. A bunch of missionaries and I were at a pastor's conference along the banks of the Zambezi River. I'm going to actually ask Gwen to show you a couple pictures of this beautiful place. It's a, it's a kind of a rustic resort where the, the, the pastors, the missionaries, the, we all gathered together to do our Bible study. Gorgeous. The Zambezi River is this huge river. And, and we were gathered there and staying in these uh, Tent cabins, kind of what you see in the movies about uh, Africa alongside the river. And the one kind of really nice luxury piece of this, because this resort was brand new, 
just why we could afford to go in there, was they had built a pool up against the bluffs of the Zambezi River. And they had built it in such a way that it was right up against a cliff. And and at that point, uh, I was in my mid-30s. Many of the missionaries were in their late 20s and early 30s. And so the the testosterone was flowing. And we climbed up that cliff, scrambled up to the top of it, and began to jump into the pool, the deep end of the pool, fortunately. And there was a veteran missionary there, a man who's kind of my spiritual dad in a way. He, He mentored me. Um, was my seminary professor in Wisconsin, but who had established the seminary in Africa. By this time, he was in his mid-70s. And he saw all of us young guys climbing up that cliff and then jumping and diving into the pool. And at 75, he said, I can do that too. And he got up and he climbed that cliff and began to jump into the pool with the rest of us. Now, you have to understand, this was a guy who, at 75, could still beat all of us younger guys. Not just me. I'm not that great of a tennis player. But even some of the really good tennis players, he could still beat us. And he was jumping into this pool. And I had one of those, who does that moments, you know? At age 75, who does that? I think this ties right into this maturity myth that we're dealing with. Because I think that sometimes we get this same sort of idea about those whom we consider to be spiritually mature. We read some of the stories in the Bible. Some of the things that great men and women of God, what they did and we think to ourselves, who does that? That's not, doesn't even seem real that someone would do some of these things. Think about Abraham moving to the other side of the world because God commanded him to do it or or Noah building an ark with all the people laughing at him and saying what are you doing Noah and yet he, he keeps on building or Moses this man who says you know I don't even know how to talk very well and God says go lead my people out of Egypt and with God's help and God's power he 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 does it successfully who does those things listen to this from Hebrews chapter 11 And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, and routed foreign armies." Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. You hear that last phrase? The world was not worthy of them. In essence, even the inspired writer of the Bible saying, in this world, who does stuff like that? And today's story from Luke 21 is one of those stories. Who does that? So let's open our Bibles and and read 
this story of this beautiful woman, spiritually beautiful, but poverty-stricken, who gives everything that she has to God. Luke 21, beginning at verse 1. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Jesus comments on that and he says, I tell you the truth, he said. This poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. You know, when you think about people like that, it becomes pretty easy to think that spiritual maturity must certainly only be for a select few. And here's the problem with that myth. Once I start to believe that spiritual maturity is only for a select few, and I compare myself and my spiritual maturity to to what I read here in the Bible and think, man, I could never reach that point. Guess what I'm tempted to do? Give up before I even get started. Because I I start to think to myself, why try? Am I ever going to raise my hand to be sought into? Am I going to be willing like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to sign up for being thrown into a fiery furnace? Am I like this poor widow going to one day come to church and say, sold my house, sold my cars. Here it all is, Lord. Am I ever going to reach that kind of spiritual maturity? And if I start to think to myself, that's only for a select few, guess what? I'm not going to even take the first step. And that's why we have to blow up this myth. Because in reality, God says it's not about what you can do at all. Just like your salvation is not about what you can do at all. Your spiritual maturity is completely in the Holy Spirit's hands. And even though some of these things might seem impossible to us, what does Jesus say to us? What's impossible with man Well, it's all, all of it possible with God. I'm sure Noah never said, sign me up to build a big ark. Nor did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ever for a moment dream that in the course of following their God, they would be asked to step into a fiery furnace. But somehow, God got them there. And that same God is still here today. And that same God can powerfully still work in any one of us to get us exactly where he wants us to be in terms of spiritual maturity. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning is I want to restore in you the belief, the strong belief that because maturity is God's work in you, the sky's the limit. And you, just like anyone else, can have the Holy Spirit working in you to a point where you can take steps where your roots are so deep and your branches so tall and strong that you're going to be amazed by the level of spiritual maturity that God will work in you. 
first thing that I want to talk about is just this simple thing. What, what is spiritual maturity? I think if we're going to talk about what God might be working in us, we need to talk about what is that going to look like when God begins to work. And as I began to study the topic of spiritual maturity, I landed in Ephesians chapter 4, which is a chapter of the Bible that talks a lot about how God develops spiritual maturity in us. And I want you to pull out your crosswalk notes because we're going to look at four passages from, the, from, from this chapter, Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to talk about four major aspects of spiritual maturity, what it looks like. And as I read through this chapter, I was struck by something. I was struck by the fact that spiritual maturity in a way is no different from any other kind of maturity. And I started to read. I read about, you know, what do people look like when they mature? You know, they grow from a child to an adolescent to a mature adult. What do animals look like when they grow to maturity? Finally, I landed on this website that talked about what trees look like. And I thought, you know, this is... It's like Jesus. He loved to talk about nature and use nature as a metaphor. And as I began to read through this description of what a, what a tree does when it matures, I, I realized that was exactly what Paul was saying about us spiritually in Ephesians chapter four. Let me just quote you from this website. Maturity in this sense, talking about trees does not mean the age at which a tree first blossoms and sets seed. In other words, it's not just about reproductive capabilities, but rather the age when it develops its full character of branch structure and clothing of foliage. As I read through this, I realized there were for trees too, four things. There's a developed root system, mature foliage, fully formed branch structure and the ability to produce fruit and thus reproduce more trees. We'll take a look at Ephesians 4 verse 14 and you're going to see that the first truth that we learn is that a mature Christ follower is able to stand firm. You know what this is saying? It's saying that a mature believer is one that has a deep and well-developed root structure that has spread widely and deeply into the Bible, into God's word, and has dug down and really gotten to know what does the Bible say about me, about my life, about God, about what God wants, what's God's will for his world. And that has especially gained a good understanding of law and gospel and understanding that Because God's will is so clearly set forth, his holy will, we can look at that like a mirror and say, you know what, we are are falling so far short, and the law just makes us aware of the fact that we are sinful. But also, and more importantly, the gospel that tells us that God has addressed this problem of sin by sending his son, Jesus Christ. The deeper our roots drill down into the soil of God's word, the Bible, the more stable spiritually that we, that we become, the more firm we are. And then winds of teaching, as he says, can't just blow us away. Notice what it says. Then we will no longer be infants. We're going to be grown-ups. 
Infants are tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Second thing, think about the leaves. Talked about the root system, the leaves. You know what leaves do on a tree? Two things. You ever been in the uh, Midwest or maybe in Oak Creek Canyon during the fall? You know, it's not a stretch to say that leaves clothe a tree because of the beautiful fall colors and, and how they just adorn a tree beautifully and even protect it to a degree like our clothing does. But more importantly, leaves are there to feed the tree. Through the process of photosynthesis, uh, carbon is drawn out and put into the tree. You know that trees are mostly made up of carbon. And, and the way that happens is through the process of photosynthesis in the leaves. A mature tree is able to fully clothe and feed itself. And so is a mature Christian. See, immature Christians, they wait for someone else to spoon feed them. They, they wait to have someone teach them a class or guide them to a truth or tell them what they should believe. When Paul met the Bereans, he says, these people were so noble and so mature because when I was teaching them, they were digging into the scriptures themselves to see if what I, an apostle, was saying. And was it really true? And they showed themselves to be mature because they were willing to feed themselves. And guess what? When you feed yourself in the word of God, the gospel is going to motivate you to say, I got to let other people know this. And you begin to feed others. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter four. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers. Why does God give us leaders like this in the church? Not just to spoon feed us, but to prepare us to feed and clothe others. Notice what it says to prepare God's people for works of service so that the whole body may be built up. Another sign of a mature tree is fully formed branch structure. You know how a mature tree actually looks so much more fully formed and beautiful and elegant in its branch structure when it's, when it's grown up. A new little baby tree looks all spindly and not very beautiful, but a mature tree just has this amazing structure. Same for us as Christ followers. A mature Christ follower is becoming fully formed, but not branch structure, obviously, What's our formation? Well, we're being fully formed into the image of Jesus Christ to become more and more and more imitators of his thinking, of his heart, of his behavior. We're being formed into the image of God. Ephesians says, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Notice that, that we're, we're, we're drilling down and know what the Son of God thinks and become mature, says it right there attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Verse 22, it goes on and it says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to stop being immature, in other words, and grow up 
into the form of Christ, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, fully formed into the image of Christ. And that is something that we're constantly becoming. It's never a done deal. And what's the fourth and final sign that as Christ followers, we becoming more and more mature? Well, just like a tree, it produces fruit. And inside that fruit is a seed. And when it drops to the ground, it produces more trees. So we as believers, we can't hold ourselves back from wanting to reproduce the faith that we have in our hearts into the hearts of others. And we have a powerful tool to do that, the gospel, right? And the gospel produces this fruit and these seeds in us. And we take that gospel out to others. We tell them about Christ and all that he's done for us. The Bible calls us witnesses, of all that he has done, all that he's done in the Bible and all that he's done in our lives. And so there you have it. I want you to think about those four things. Do you have a fully formed root system? Are you drilling down deeply into the Bible, into the word of God? Or are you still kind of an infant Christian? needs someone else to feed you these things or maybe you're an adolescent christian maybe you're to that point where you you kind of have your summer job and and you can do it a little bit on your own but you still need a lot of help what about what about those leaves be able to feed yourself in the word of god and then go on and help others grow in their faith too huge being mature are you are you someone that is becoming more and more christ-like in your behaviors in your actions in your thoughts in your heart and finally do you love the gospel so much that you say to yourself man i just i have to carry that to others when you begin to look at these things and you go back to the very first truth But that kind of maturity is not something that you bring upon yourself. It's something that the Holy Spirit brings to you through the means of grace, the gospel, in the Bible. I want you to be convinced of this. As Phil said last week, over time, with many ups and downs, the Holy Spirit can grow you and give you all those aspects of maturity. So here's our first major point. Spiritual maturity is attainable. Because it's by God's power, by anyone. Now, it is attainable by anyone, but that doesn't mean that everyone's going to become spiritually mature. Why is that? Why is it that if it's attainable by anyone, and if God is capable of doing anything, why is it that the whole world doesn't become spiritually mature? Because God has left us, you and me, with the power to do one thing. Put the brakes on. We have the power to put the brakes on our own growth. And you know what one of the major ways that we do that is? Pretty simple. You're not going to be surprised to hear this. We simply lose our spiritual focus. 
It happens all the time. It happened in the Bible. And in the book of Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews confronts a church there. And he says, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Number one reason I don't grow, the number one reason you don't grow, is because we allow our focus on spiritual things to dissolve into a tight focus on other things, right? Think about it. How easy is it for you and me to get focused on physical things? Making sure that, we, that we've got the job and the paycheck, especially in an economy like this. Make sure that we can put food on the table. And man, before you know it, the worries and the concerns, the stuff about finances and paying the mortgage, it can just absorb us more and more and take over our focus and our attention. Some of us are going through health things ourselves, maybe family member. And pretty soon, if, we, if we're not careful that health issue can start to absorb our full attention. I, I don't know what it is in your life, but I want you to think about it for just a moment. Are there things that are going on in your life that are so emotional, so, so heart-tugging, so wrenching, that you struggle with getting your attention off of them and getting your attention, your spiritual attention, back on the Lord? That's the reason that our breaks often go on. Look at Ephesians 4, 13. Uh, I'm sorry, look at John 15, verse 5, and it says this. Look at what Jesus says. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Notice what Jesus is saying there. When we lose our focus on Christ, it's all going to come to a halt. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But if we stay focused, if we stay connected to Jesus Christ, it says he will bear much fruit. So it's so important that we keep our zeal for the Lord. Just like it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Keep that excitement about Christ. When John the Apostle was writing to some of the congregations in Asia Minor, in the first chapters, the book of Revelation, you know what one of the things that he says to one of the congregations is? You've lost that first love. That's what Paul's talking about here, too. Keep that spiritual fervor going on. And uh, I want to read you some synonyms for fervor so they can really anchor that thought in your mind. You know what they are? Passion, dedication, enthusiasm, eagerness, zeal, 
commitment. That's what God, what God's love for us is constantly calling forth from us. I want you to write down, take your program out and write down in a column the word pies, P-I-E-S. Write down pies. Pies stands for all the aspects of the human being. You have physical aspects that you have to take care of. You have intellectual side of yourself that you have to take care of. There's an emotional part to you, right? And finally, most importantly, there's your spiritual self, right? It's so important that we keep those in balance. In other words, think about taking hold and eating the whole pie. That's what I like to think about. I'm eating the whole pie. I'm taking care of myself physically, taking care of myself intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, but I'm not letting any one of those dominate to the point where it pushes the others out, and in particular, the spiritual part of myself out. Now, that can happen. People get wild and crazy about their physical side, and they go to the gym, and they spend five, six, seven, eight hours in the gym. I'm not one of those. All right? Or people get crazy about the intellectual side, and all they're doing is constantly reading books and digging deep and trying to get more knowledge. Others, their emotional self point is, take in the whole pie and balance yourself and make sure that there's always time for your spiritual zeal and enthusiasm and commitment. Make sure there's always time for Jesus Christ in your life. Don't lose focus on him. And here's, here's what motivates me for that. I, I think it'll motivate you too. There have been times where my life has gotten out of balance. I'll frankly admit it. There have been times where the spiritual focus has been lost in my life. And wow, how quickly my heart gets drained when that happens. But you know what helps me? It's this one simple thought. I may lose focus on God, I may lose focus on his son, Jesus Christ, but he never loses focus on me, ever. One of our favorite prayers as Lutherans, it's often said around uh, the Lutheran dinner table. You may or may not have learned it. Some of you will be able to say it with me. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for his mercy endures forever. In the Old Testament, sometimes it's put this way. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. In fact, if you read in the Old Testament, the job description of the priests and the Levites is to constantly proclaim that. That's their job description. Proclaim that we all give thanks to the Lord for his, and I want you to say it with me, his love endures forever. Say it with me. Come on. His love endures forever. Let's do it again a little bit louder. His love endures forever. One more time. 
His love endures forever. It endures forever. God has never and will never lose his focus on you. When Adam and Eve sinned, God made a promise on the spot. I'm going to send a savior for the world to take care of this sin and all the sins that will follow this death and all the death that will follow. When you and I fail and fall, which we will do when we get out of balance, when we don't take in the whole pie, when we lose our spiritual fervor, we still have a savior. We still have our Lord Jesus Christ who went to the cross and stretched out his hands for us. Isn't that not amazing? And that salvation is so complete that three days later, God raised him from the grave as proof that your salvation is complete. And that one day you're going to live in heaven where you're going to fully sense and know it won't be a matter of faith anymore. It'll be certainty. It'll be real. It'll be tangible that God has his full focus on you all the time. All is a gift because God loved you in his son, Jesus Christ. So here's our second point. Stay focused because spiritual maturity comes from spiritual focus. Now we've talked, I think several times now about how spiritual maturity is a gift. It's a gift from God worked in us by the Holy Spirit. Phil talked last week about how important the means of grace are, God's word, the sacraments, baptism, the Lord's Supper, and that it's through those means that God shares his grace and his love with us, that mercy that endures forever, that love. And, and when we talk about it this way, it's important to understand that it's a gift, but here's one thing that I also want you to understand. That doesn't mean there's nothing you can do. In fact, the Bible says, very simple, plain words, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. When I know the focus of God's love on me, one of my chief questions is going to be, how do I get deeper roots into this? How do I produce taller branches? How do I feed myself? How do I feed others? And the Bible says there are some very practical habits that you and I can develop that will lead to spiritual maturity because they lead to the Holy Spirit. And if it's the Holy Spirit who develops us, then the question for me and you is, how do I get to him? Or how does he get to me is maybe the better way to phrase it. And so that's what I want to talk about as we wrap up this morning. How do I practically, how do we do things that can put us in a position to become more and more spiritually mature? Take a look at that first passage in your crosswalk notes right under point two. And I want to get you involved again. Read this one with me. This is one of the most beautiful passages. This is Psalm chapter one. 
verses 2 and 3. Will you read it with me? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. You see the first practical habit there? What produces that mature tree that's like something by a stream of water? It's right in the very first part. He delights in the law of the Lord. The very first most practical thing you can do if you want to grow up to be a mature Christ follower is to have that same delight. To delight delight in the Bible. To delight in God's word. To love to go and read your Bible. Do you get up in the morning, get your cup of coffee, and say, man, I got to have my quiet time before I start my day. Or before you go to bed tonight, even though you may be a little tired, are you going to say to yourself, you know what? I haven't gotten that in yet. I, I just need that before I go to sleep so I can sleep peacefully. I'm going to open my Bible and read a page so that I can sleep and know that God is watching over me tonight. You have that time where you delight in the law of the Lord every day. If you do, that's your first step towards spiritual maturity. Here's what I want you to, to write by that passage. I know I didn't leave you blank, but by that passage, I just want you to write, number one, read my Bible. Let's look at the next passage. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Can we go back to that widow? The who does that widow? Why do you think she was able to come into the temple? And and it's interesting in the Greek, because what it says in the Greek is she dumped her whole life into the offering plate. She dumped her life in. Now, in the NIV, it says all she had to live on. But literally, it says she dumped her life into the offering. How could she do that? And not worry. And not fret. There's only one possible answer. It's the answer that Jesus gives right here. She remained in Jesus' love. We've already talked about how Jesus' love remains on us all the time, no matter what. Now, this widow was remaining herself in Jesus' love, knowing that it was there for her, that he had promised to provide for her, that she didn't have to worry or fret about anything. And so she comes into the temple, and she leaves her life in the temple in the treasury because she's remaining in Jesus' love. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says to you and me, so have I loved you. And that will never stop because the Father's love for Jesus never stopped. So here's the second point. I want you to write this down. Number two, the second habit is simple. Constantly rest in God's love. Habit number one, you're going to read. Habit number two, you're going to rest. 
Now, you know, don't you, you're going you're gonna to have Satan, the world, your sinful flesh throwing the kitchen sink at you when you try to rest in God's love. You do know this, right? I talk to people today. One person uh, coming into church today, I hope he doesn't mind my sharing, I'm going to share it anonymously. He was telling me how his business is struggling and how he finally made the decision. You know what? I'm going to, I've just got to cash it in. I'm going to give up my business. And at that very moment, a new contract came in for work. He said, I was at the end of my rope. These were his words to me this morning. I was at the end of my rope and then God came in and made the rope a little bit longer. Love that. Do you know what? That's what God constantly does to you. And that's why you have to remain in his love because he's stretching your faith and building it. And just at the moment when you're ready to give up and cash it in, he's going to come in and say, remember, I love you. Remember the disciples tossing about in the boat going, we're going to drown Jesus. Remember Jesus asking the disciples, how are we going to feed all these people? We got two stinking loaves and five fish. How are we going to feed these people? And boom, they got fed. So as you strive to remain in God's love, don't forget how God works. His love is constant, but he is going to stretch you sometimes to the point where you think it's broken. There's no more rope left. And then he'll come in right in that moment and give you a little bit more rope to hang on to. Take a look at this next verse, James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. See, that's what we're talking about here, right? And, and, and I'm going to tell you, there's two main kind of trials you're going to face. One is the one I was just talking about, circumstances. Here's the other one. You might want to write these down. Circumstances. Here's the other one. Critics. You can constantly face critics in life. And they are going to stretch you and test you. And they're going to want to break you. Remember, remain in Jesus' love and consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be, notice that word, mature and complete, not lacking anything. Realize that Life is a series of risks. And so here's what I want you to write down in the third point, right by that James passage. Risk on the basis of your faith. Take risks, respond to risks, accept risks in your life. So you're going to read, you're going to rest, you're going to risk. And here's the fourth one. Because Jesus first loved you, you're going to love him. You're going to worship him and you love your neighbor because you have all that love from Jesus stored up in your heart. It's just going to happen. You're going to respond. You're going to respond in worship to God. You're going to respond in love to your neighbor. And you're going to love them back. The last passage, John chapter 15 says, you did not choose me. He's saying this to his disciples, and now he's saying it to you. You didn't choose me. Your spiritual maturity is not your work. 
Because you didn't even come to me by your own choice. But I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit. I'm the one that makes it happen. Fruit that will last. And then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And then he tells us what that fruit is. This is my command. Love one another. Respond to God's love, to Jesus' love, by loving one another. 15, 16, what was it? No, 14-year-old boy. Would you let your 14-year-old climb Everest? Your 16-year-old daughter get in a pink yacht and sail around the world? Who does that? Would you tell your brother and sister in Christ, take all you got and dump it in the crosswalk offering basket? Would you say to them, you never know, be prepared, because one day you might get sought in two or offered a sitting room in a fiery furnace. Maybe one day God is going to say to you, move to the other side of the world or lead a group of people. And you're going to say, but I, I don't have the skills. I don't have the words. And he's going to say, do it anyway. Because I'll be there to help you. And I'll send others to help you too. Maybe he's going to tell you to build something. Maybe it's not an ark. Maybe it's a cabinet so a crosswalk can move. I don't know. But here's what I want you to ask yourself. Do I believe that I can get there? Or have I already given up? Have I already said to myself, I, I can never see myself. Who would do that? Not me. Or do you say to yourself, because it's God, and I know God, and I know his love, and I know his son, I do believe he can get me there. I can be spiritually mature too. Anyone can be spiritually mature. Because spiritual maturity, because it's God's power working in and through us, is never attainable only by a select few. It's there for you and you and me and all of us. Let's take a look at the crosswalk notes, the next steps, living the adventure. Phil changed it up last week, so I'm changing it up again. Here's one great thing I think you ought to consider. Consider writing a spiritual development plan. Write down these things that we talked about. How am I going to read? How am I going to rest? How am I going to risk? How am I going to respond to God's love for me? Get practical. Then review it on a regular basis. Put it somewhere where you can go back to it. Then create a spiritual self-test this week and act on God's promises. You know what I mean by that? If you believe God's promises and you believe that part of it is taking risks and being tested so that you can develop a mature faith, is there like a little self-test you could develop for yourself where you could say, you know what, I'm going to step out on God's promises and do something more than I've ever done it before.
and see if God will come through as he has promised me in his love. And finally, meditate on and memorize Romans 10.17 and John 15.9. You can look those up in your crosswalk notes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much that spiritual maturity is not attainable only by a select few, but that because it's your spirit working in us, it's attainable by any one of us. Lord, help us to believe that. And Lord, if there's any one thing that we know that can make us believe that, it's the belief that your love endures forever. And that it is such a tangible, firm, solid love that you made it visible to the entire world for all ages by sending your son Jesus Christ to die for us and rise from the grave for us. Because of him, we are forgiven. Because of him, we have the power to lead a new life. Because of him, because of your son Jesus, we have the promise of eternal life, a firm promise that we rest on. Lord, as we rest in your promises, help us to take risks and to respond to one another in love and become fully formed into the image of your son Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.